0: Good evening. Good evening. I want to remind you: be here on Saturday. Uh, Live, not by lies. Conference will be on at 9 a.m. Um, four sessions, breaks in between in the morning and in the afternoon. Uh, pizza and salad lunch in the middle of the day, and uh, and then on Sunday we have the the um, the concert, the program that will be put on by the Calvary Chapel Choir. The one thing I want to um, if we have other folks that are on online as well just want to remind you that sunday is going to be different in the sense that we're not going to have the period of corporate worship followed by announcements followed by the word Um, the program will be the beginning of the service so you really need to be here um, when the service starts we'll start with just doing the announcements quickly before we get into it so that we can just get into the program um, and the the program will go forward. We'll have communion together. We'll have uh, a time of prayer and just fellowship. So uh, just remember to be in your seats at 10 o'clock for Sunday's program. It's going to be a blessed weekend. Um, we have 140 people that are signed up, you know, to have lunch here. And then there's several other people that are planning on being here that plan to have other plans for lunch. So we'll probably be over 150 people, if everybody who said they were coming is coming. So keep that in your prayers. Um, We're excited to be able to present this for for anyone who's willing to come. So, okay, let's get into the Bible study for tonight. We're going to be in Genesis, excuse me, chapter 28, and possibly get into 29 as well. And this is a pivotal passage because um, in these two chapters, really now, uh, Jacob the son of Isaac and Rebecca he is going to be making his way back to the land that was the original home of Abraham is the place where Isaac found his bride Rebecca and now Isaac, uh, Jacob is being sent back there as well and ultimately as he finds his wives uh, this will become the beginning of what becomes the family of the patriarchs, the 12 tribes. And so uh, this is a pivotal time in the life of Jacob and really in the highway of the sea that will ultimately produce the Messiah. That will be, you know, God's plan for the salvation of humanity. So we pick it up in verse 1 of uh, chapter 28 and now recall that uh, we've just come from the, the, the place in the narrative where Jacob... And Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, tricked Isaac into giving the blessing uh, that would normally go to the oldest son it, in Isaac's mind. And he's now elderly, but he he thought he was giving this blessing to his oldest son, Esau. When in fact, uh, through the planning and scheming of Rebekah and Jacob, he ended up giving it to Jacob. And of course, this was not anything that we should commend. Uh, but it does prove that even with wicked intent and less than scrupulous behavior, God works in the midst of it. And ultimately, what He had told Re- uh, Rebecca when she was pregnant is that the older will serve the younger. And indeed, this is where we are now. Uh, so now, in the aftermath of that, and we saw at the end of chapter 27 that Esau has mind to kill his brother when when the opportunity presents itself. We come into chapter 28, and in verse one, we read. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Please go to Paddan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you, and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban the son of Bethuel the Syrian the brother of Rebekah the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now once again we see in this line that comes from Abraham this direction do not take a wife of the Canaanites this is the same uh, direction that Isaac himself was given by his father and now Isaac is giving it to his son of promise the the son that that uh, is going to have the promises of God given to him and he's telling him once again do not take a wife from the women of the Canaanites—that would be the indigenous peoples that were in the Promised Land—and there is a very important reason for this. Uh, through the history of the land of Canaan, God was sorely grieved by the sinfulness of the peoples of that land. Their their pagan worship, uh, some of the most despicable things that they did—they they were not people that God wanted necessarily in in the highway of the seed as we'll refer to it and this is something that Esau the older brother had done we've already seen that he took a couple of wives from the Canaanite uh from among the Canaanite women and this was a great burden to his mother um this was something that that Rebecca said in verse 46 of chapter 27 she said I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth these would be individuals. They're actually uh, descendants of half the Hittite peoples. And she, she's distraught in her life because her son Esau has now brought these women into the family. And with them comes all of the uh, baggage, shall we say, of a people who do not have a God, the, the, the true God in their lives. And she said there in that same verse, if, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? In other words, she say if, if my other son brings home another woman like the two that Esau has, I'll just die. And, and so you see here that this, their, their series is a heart attack about that because now Isaac is telling his son, look, you need to go back to where our people come from and find your wife there. And he specifically now directs him to the house of, of his uncle, basically, the house of Laban and um and this is more direction by the way than isaac got from his father his father said just go back in that direction and then you know he he of course went with uh the steward of of um abraham's house and they found the the wife rebecca for isaac almost supernaturally but now he's given specific direction and here's the thing That is really a consistent principle from the times of Abraham to the times in which we live. And that is that God does not want his people unequally yoked. And by unequally yoking, uh, I mean that when you as a believer in Jesus Christ, who has a life that is consecrated unto him and all that comes with that, When you join your life with another person, a husband or a wife, depending, um, and and taking at face value what the Lord says about marriage, which is that the two shall become one flesh, it would be like you're embracing cancer. Like you have purposely infected your, your body with something that is destructive to it. If you would just flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just to get the direction from the Lord concerning you and me, because it's not a whole lot different than the direction that Jacob is being given here by his father. In verses 14 through 17 of uh, 2 Corinthians 6, we we read, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what uh, communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial being another name for the devil. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch with what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty." Uh, we have to take very seriously the walk that we have with the Lord and, and having a life that is not facing every moment you're at home compromise. And, and I've seen and you've seen uh, instances of people that you know are walking with the Lord, but somehow, some way, um, they ended up in a marriage where uh, they're unequally yoked. Now, sometimes that happens because both individuals were not saved when they got married. And then the couple, they're exposed to the word of God. Maybe they have friends or family members who are Christian. And one of them comes to the Lord and the other one doesn't. And now you've got a, a home that's divided. There's, there's not a lot you could do with that. In fact, the Apostle Paul addresses that in the first letter to the Corinthians when he, when he says that, look, if if you're married to an unbeliever and they are willing to live with you as a believer... then then Paul urges them, stay married, stay in that house because your presence is a sanctifying presence for that unbelieving spouse. It's not to say that they can be saved by association because you are, but it means that you as a vessel of the Holy Spirit of God, living in the midst of that unbeliever has a profound effect on them. Now, my wife and I, we were not believers when we got married. She got saved about eight years after we got married uh something like that and and I was not saved till another couple of years after that, but i would be uh, i I would have to say that her sanctified life along with other family members, had an effect on me that led me to the truth so so exactly what Paul tells us in that passage, at least in my case, turned out to be true so so this is why, you know, back to our text, this is why Isaac is making <clears throat> such a, a point of this. And you got to keep in mind where, where, Isaac, or where uh, Jacob is in this moment and where he's being sent back to Haran, which, which is near the border of Turkey and Syria of modern day. I mean, this is like over a thousand mile, a couple thousand mile journey. I mean, it's a big deal to go from where he is to where he's being sent. And so this is, this is very, very serious direction he's receiving from his father. But notice also between verses 3 and 5, he's, rec- he's receiving a very important blessing from his father. It's, it's a transfer. A transference of the blessing that god placed on abraham's life that was then confirmed in the life of of isaac himself you see it there in verses three four and five that that he's now saying may the almighty god bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of abraham see it's kind of a transference saying that okay i think isaac now has finally gotten on board with what the lord told rebecca when she was pregnant the 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 older will serve the younger in other words it's going to be the younger son who is going to receive the handoff the baton if you will of blessing that's going to carry forth the promise that god gave starting with abraham that he will be a blessing to all to many you know uh, all nations that he will uh, be a father of many nations that he will get be given this great land all of these things are now passing from abraham through isaac to jacob and uh, then he sends jacob away and he went to ped to laban the son of bethuel and he's on his way uh to to uh obey what his father has told him now we see something here very interesting between verses six and nine the scene switches now to Esau the other son Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pedan Aram to take himself a wife from there and that he as he blessed him he gave him a charge saying you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also, Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. Now it's interesting because Esau sees now the track of his life. He's been a kind of an impetuous individual, somebody that's going to do what he's going to do. He profaned or basically, yeah, he profaned his birthright, even that the Lord had already decided he wasn't going to get it. His attitude towards it was very dismissive, not important to me, not relevant to me, until it was. And he sees the favor that is being given to his younger brother, and his younger brother is by no means perfect, in fact, when you think about this whole birthright thing, all four family members were despicable in the way they conducted themselves lies, deceit, cheating, um, putting hair on <laughs> bald hands, and all kinds of crazy things. But Jacob was obedient to what his parents told him as it related to the birthright once he had it and Esau is now seeing that this favor that is being shown to him has come out of this obedience and so Esau takes it into his mind that, well, um, you know, my taking wives from the women of Canaan didn't please my parents very much. And he doesn't seem to indicate that anything about his mother being ready to end her life over this. But now that he sees that it, it matters to Isaac, his father, he decides that he will take a wife from among their people except... (laughs) that <laughs> the wife he's taking is from the family of Ishmael. Ishmael, the son of the flesh. Ishmael, the one who was not chosen. So it's interesting that the not chosen brother goes and finds a wife from the not chosen uncle. Or, you know, yeah. And and it just seems like poor Esau just can't get this right. I mean, he he's, he's a man of carnality and his decisions are are influenced accordingly and and i think it's a um it's a lesson for us that if you choose to go the route of carnality you'd be surprised how it starts to bleed into the decisions that you make about your life um you know, anybody who counsels people for a living will find that very often the biggest problems that people face in life, when you trace it back to the taproot, they, they're they're created by the decisions that they chose to make, and typically those decisions are well, not typically, perhaps always, they're decisions that were made apart from what the will of God and the Word of God would have them do, and so Esau, uh, you know, he's trying to. Make good with his parents, but the choice that he makes not exactly the best. So we wheel into verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And as I say, if you look at a map, boy, uh, Beersheba's in the south of what we know of as Israel today. Haran is way up there uh, by the border of Turkey and Syria as we know it today. Very long journey. And now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep just a quick aside about uh this stone because other translations and i think the general idea that most people get is that he took this stone to be his pillow and uh it looking at those who are linguists from the original language it doesn't say in the hebrew that he took it and placed it under his head it says that he took it and placed it at his head which would say that if he's laying this way with his head here and his feet here the stone was up here the significance of placing the stone there we don't really get in the text but we kind of get an idea as we go further in the chapter, I, it's just a, a little uh, trivial point, but I don't think um, a pillow of, of a rock would be very comfortable. Um, and I, I think the writer uh, didn't mean to convey that. Um, so he took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now this, again, this is a very important point in Jacob's life. And and keep in mind, it's up to this point, Jacob has not had a running dialogue with God. He has not, up to this point, heard directly and personally from God. I'm sure he heard about the God of Abraham from his grandfather from his father who also heard directly from God but up to this point we have no account uh, that Jacob himself has had this direct experience with God and so now he's in this dream and um, he's in this place by the way that um, that actually is a place that his grandfather had also had an experience with the Lord if you recall back when we were in um, Genesis chapter 12 verse 8 we we read there and Abraham moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord so this is the same general area where Abraham conducted the first worship if you will of the lord in the land and now coincidentally or not so much coincidentally jacob is in that same place and we read here that in his dream he sees this ladder that's set up on the earth and there are angels that were ascending and descending on it now again not to be a language nerd but actually and my buddy art would know this or i'm sure he does um that the the hebrew word that's used there really conveys more of a stairway than a ladder i mean the way we think of a ladder is what you go up on the roof to get the leaves out of your gutter or or to go uh you know fix something up there this was more in the way of a stairway okay so uh, led zeppelin had it right no no they didn't (laughs) just kidding um but uh he sees a couple of things he sees the stairway he sees angels that are coming down it and, he, and going up it. And he, he sees some kind of image or, or appearance of the presence of the Lord. It says the Lord stood above it. We don't know in what form he saw the Lord. But there he, he has a clear indication that at the top of the stairs is the Lord. And he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. And the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Now, as we think about this stairway, what Jacob is getting here through this vision is the realization that there is a way to heaven. And it's a way that God has enabled. It's a way that God has established and the the agents of god if you will the messengers of god angels another word for all of that they're on that stairway but but he can clearly see that he has he has an access there that that the lord's will for his life is coming from that conduit and this is something that becomes imagery that jesus christ himself uses because we know that jesus christ ultimately becomes our access to heaven and keep in mind this is all before the mosaic law is given because once the mosaic law is given there's a whole new paradigm for how people can approach a holy god and that's through the temple and you know through the priesthood and all of that but this is all before that and Jesus himself uses this imagery to convey the idea that he is the way to heaven. He says this in John chapter 1 verse 51. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What he's saying here is he's saying that Jesus is the way to heaven. He doesn't tell us that he's going to show us a way. He tells us that he is the way. And this is something, I've said it many, many times, there's really only two religions in the entire world. There's Christianity, which says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And then there's everything else. And everything else started with the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was a collective, and we're going to talk about this on Saturday. It's actually an illustration I start with in the opening session. The Tower of Babel was a manifestation of the human carnal idea that we, through man's ingenuity, through man's cleverness, through man's strength, through man's industry, that we could build our way to heaven. We can make a tower unto heaven to exalt ourselves and to prove ourselves worthy of the presence of God. And Christianity is in stark and diametric opposite to that. It says that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, who likens himself to this very stairway we see in our text. There is one way to heaven. There is one way to fellowship with God. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And so any other religion you want to parse through and look at their theology, ultimately what you'll see inside of it, sometimes it's very overt, sometimes it's more subtly put in there, but it all amounts to we must work to get there. We must work to have fellowship with God. And the hero of the story in all of those religions is always us. It's always humanity. We win. We did it. We got there. This is why dominion theology that is that is a growing Christian view of our time is nothing other than a repackaged Tower of Babel idea that we are going to order the world, we are going to we are going to reform its institutions, we are going to reform its politics, we are going to establish a world the terminology they often use is we are going to make earth in the we're going to have God's will done on earth as it is in heaven sounds great sounds scriptural also sounds impossible if you understand what God's word says and so this this is a moment where where our friend Jacob is learning that there there is a way to God that, that there is that God has an interest in coming to us that God has an interest in communicating to us that God has a plan that he wants to convey to us and and this is this is where he gets to um, and and God as he speaks to to Jacob he's repeating the very covenant the very promises that he gave to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis and then gave to Isaac in chapter 26 of Genesis and these are the things that um, He wants Jacob to get in in this place, to understand that this is who I am and this is what I have for you. And it is the transference of the promise that I gave to your grandfather in Genesis 12, the promise I, I then passed on to your father in Genesis 26. And again, there's a lesson here for us. We have been given precious promises. God has spoken to us. When God spoke to Jacob, I hope he was paying attention because he didn't write anything down. We have the written, inspired, true word of God, which contains in it God's will and plan for our lives. Do we believe these things? The Lord said, "I am I, uh, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ this this is the kind of promise that we could easily forget i mean typically when you when you have a bad day you stumble on something you you find yourself uh did something bad or you thought something that you knew was not of the lord and and you really wonder it's like goodness gracious uh you know this is why a lot of people question am i even saved you know but the lord tells us that he will he will finish the work that he started in us. He tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us that that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us, it's interesting that he tells us that basically that our sins he remembers no more. And yet in the book of Hebrews, he tells us that he never forgets our works, our works in furtherance of the kingdom. These are things that the Lord has told us, much like he's telling Jacob, this is what I have for you. This is this is why you're. This is why you matter. And and you know what, we would pray and hope for the church is that individual people in the church would understand. Hey, you matter. You matter to the Lord. The Lord has spoken His word to you, and in that spoken word, He has a plan for you. And He's there to encourage you. And He's there to empower you. And He's there to guide you. He's He, he promises His Spirit lives in us and he also promises his spirit will lead us in the way of all truth that should give us an enormous sense of confidence about what we're all about now the thing that's interesting about jacob's response or jacob's reaction to this dream verse 16 jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the lord is in this place and i did not know it and he was afraid and said how awesome is this place This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. By doing so, by the way, he's consecrating the stone as a symbolic uh, monument, if you will, to the profound experience he had in that place. Now, the one thing uh, that that is a little bit um, troubling about the reaction That Jacob has here is that Jacob believes that what he just experienced was a quality unique to that place in other words just to quote him um, Jacob arose from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God, and he'll ultimately name it Bethel, which means the house of God. But, but what he's not realizing here is the character of God, the qualities, the characteristics of God. God is omnipresent, isn't he? God is everywhere. There is nothing, there is nothing significant about this place other than its historic significance after this event. Uh, Another, another example, okay? We're going to go to Israel in February. We've got 26 people going. Awesome. It's going to be a great trip. And we will go to the old city, and we will see hundreds at a time, maybe a 1,000 people at a time at the Wailing Wall praying there. And many people from around the world make it a life's goal to get to that spot to pray there. And, and they place a great deal of significance play, praying there. And there is significance in praying there because historically, for the Jewish people and frankly for the entire world, it's very significant historically. It only reaches a place of being uh, wrong thinking concerning God if we think that God can meet you there in a way he can't meet you anywhere else. And this is particularly true for the Christian. The Lord tells us, we are the temple of the living God. Uh, anywhere that you are, you have the temple of God following you around because it looks an awful lot just like you. And so to think that there's only a special place, and I mean, this is, this is something that's characteristic of a lot of religions that have a deep tradition of ritual, is that there are certain places that are more significant than others there are certain ritual that is more significant than others there are certain uh, vestments that are more significant than others all of that stuff and this gives people great comfort because they know as long as i check the boxes of i'm in the right place wearing the right thing saying and doing the right thing i have access to god and i'm here to tell you that's not the god we serve the God we serve meets us wherever we open our heart and say, God, here I am. You know, I love that when the Lord calls somebody in the Bible and say, yes, Lord, here I am, you know? And that's what we should be saying every day, every minute of every day, Lord, here I am. And so the the significance of the place becomes significant because it had a an historic event that occurred there, but it's not significant from the standpoint of, well, if I really want to have an experience with God, I got to go back to Bethel because that's just not the way the Lord works it. So Jacob, verse 18, he rises early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head. He set it up as a pillar. He pours oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which of course, as I said, means the house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, And keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set as a pillar, shall be God's house. No, it's not. And all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, here's the troubling thing about the way in which um, Jacob finishes this, this experience. And again, this is a linguistic issue, and this is why it is important. I mean, I'm no linguistic nerd, and I don't have uh, deep knowledge of Hebrew and Greek, which would be very useful, but I do try to go to the people who do to see what they have to say in these kind of instances. What we see between verses 20 and 21 um, is the classic if-then statement. If this happens, then I'll do that. If God does this for me, then I'll do this for God. Then God will be my God. And and that looks as clear as the nose on our face. And a lot of people would look at this passage and say, well, knowing what a schemer and what a dealer and wheeler and dealer Jacob is, he thinks he's bargaining here with God. And that may be true. I don't know. But I don't think you can read this from the text because the word that's translated here, if can also be rendered since. So if you put since in that place, what it reads is, since God will be with me, keep me this way and I'm going, the way I'm going and give me bread to eat and and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord's my God. So he's saying, look, because I now know these things that God has done for me, hey, he's my God and I'm gonna serve him and everything he gives me, I'm gonna tithe back to him. And so... You know, I've read some commentators on this passage that kind of take a poke at Jacob. And I don't know if it's justified given that ambiguity on that word because if it's an if-then statement, then it sounds very, like God God has given Jacob an absolute covenant, a covenant that to this day is not broken. It has not changed one single bit. Literally come hell or high water. Literally, Hundreds of millions of Arabs trying to annihilate this promise, and they can't do it because God has not broken that promise. And in in response, Jacob's going to say, okay, Lord, well, if you do this and this and this and this, then I'll recognize you as my God. I am not convinced that that's what Jacob is saying based on the fact that the word that is rendered, at least in my Bible, I'm reading from the New King James, that word that's rendered, if could could also be rendered since, and in that in that way it it really sounds like he's acknowledging, wow, um the Lord's going to do these things for me, and therefore he's my God i'm going to follow him to the ends of the earth, and so what what the Lord is promising him here is is i'm the Lord God, okay, so now he knows who's talking to him, I will give you these things, I will be with you. And I'm not going to leave you until the things that I've spoken are done. And of course, we have, you know, similar kinds of things that God has told us. We saw recently in Philippians chapter 4, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a promise made to us. We don't say, well, Lord, if that really happens, then I'll walk with you and you'll be my God. No, it's a promise that he's made to us that he will not break. And so... We, uh, we see him having this experience and then we wheel into, we'll just touch on a little bit of uh, chapter 29 in the time we have left. Um, so Jacob went on his journey, this is verse one of 29, and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of that, for out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now, all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Now, interesting, um, nowadays, we look at our phone. Google Maps is open. We know when we've gotten where we're going. He didn't know. He had to ask these people, hey, where the heck am I? You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And again, from where we finished verse 22 of chapter 28 to where we are in verse 1 of 29, that would have been a long journey between those two verses. And so he arrives at this place. He's he's now come upon this field where the shepherds come to water their sheep at this well. Now, this would probably not be the same well at which Isaac met rebecca because the well where they met was the well that people would use in in a village to water themselves to water their homes here this is out where the sheep are and it's the place where shepherds would bring their sheep at least once a day to water them and so he asked them you know where am i and they say haran and then he said to them do you know laban the son of nahor and they said we know him so he said to them is he well And they said, he is well. And look, (laughs) his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he, Jacob, said, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go feed them. Now, you know what's going on here, right? Oh, Laban's daughter is coming? Look, you guys, uh, why don't you make haste? Water your sheep. (laughs) Get them off into the pasture, you know? He's looking for time alone, probably, with this fetching young lass. Um, and But they said at, back to him, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. So they're telling oh, no, no, we don't do it that way. We wait until everybody's here. Then we all roll the stone away, and then all the sheep drink, and, you know. Uh, <laughs> now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, and she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from a well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And here he comes. You know, this is, this is classic uh, guy trying to impress a lady 101. Roll up your sleeves, move the heavy rock, do the hard work. Here I am baby (laughs) and then jacob kissed rachel and lifted lifted up his voice and wept now don't read by that that you know he came up to rachel and kind of gave her one of those um he probably gave the kind of kiss that would be a a uh, greeting type of kiss and of course she may have been wondering about that until the point in time where they realize they're related but he's weeping and she's thinking this is a little strange. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. Now Rebecca would be Rachel's aunt, okay? So she ran and told her father, and then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, at least for now. <laughs> uh, we'll pick up with this next time. I think the um, heel catcher, deceiver, trickster, bargainer, wheeler dealer is about to meet more than his match. But that will be for next time. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, God, for your word, for its truth. Uh, Lord, for the lessons that are contained in it. And, Father, that you would have your Holy Spirit guiding the hand of those that write all these books in the Bible, preserving the things that actually happened, bringing out the the, uh, scriptural truth from each of these that we, so many thousands of years later, can benefit and be fed spiritually by them. Lord, we thank you for your tender, loving care of us. And we so appreciate, God, how you speak to us through the things that you have preserved for us to know. We pray all these things in your precious name, amen. Amen. Amen.